welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, October 27th, we are studying Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. In today's text, the author of Hebrews exhorts Christians to draw near to God, to hold fast the confession of our hope, and to consider how we can stir each other up to love and good works. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor Jeremy Swim. Pastor Swim serves at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Pastor Swim, welcome to Sharper Iron. Well, thank you, Pastor Apple. It's a pleasure to be here and to delve into the Word of God with you as well as the listeners. So we get to look at Hebrews chapter 10 today. I think a fairly familiar section from this epistle. Talk to us about any context, whether from the epistle as a whole or especially leading up to this text in chapter 10 that'll help us with the words that we have today. Well, the writer here, and it's debatable about who that happens to be, uh, whether it's Paul or someone else, I tend to look at it and see quite a bit of uh, Paul's fingerprints throughout. Uh, though I'm just reading this most recent section again, I, I kind of got a, a Johannine feeling with the use oh. of a, a word, um, the confidence that we have to stand before God, parasia. So the, the writer here has moved into a section where he's talking about the worship in the temple and the priest there and has then directed his listeners to the great high priest. Christ Jesus, and the reality that we have when entering into God's presence in the divine service. So chapter 10 deals quite a bit with that as we're moved from the shadow of the things to come to those realities. As we move into verses 19 to 25, oh, we, we get some great exhortation, as you noted, Pastor Apple, about the life that we live together, and also that we have before God as we enter into His very presence. Mm. You're, you're the second guest this week that has suggested John, at least in part of it. I've, one of my guests for chapter 9 said, said he thought about John, too. And then yesterday, Pastor Appold from Paducah, Kentucky, he, uh, he suggested Paul. So you're, you're, you've got brothers who, who agree with you, at least in part, on those. So that's, that's fantastic. So we get, again, this wonderful text from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. We turn to the Word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That is our text for today. That is Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Pastor Swem, our text begins in English with the word therefore, which is one that we sometimes maybe forget to look at, but we shouldn't, to remind us, well, what's, as I've heard it said, what is therefore, therefore? (laughs) Well, here, uh, the writer is using this little conjunction, un, to draw us from the matter that we heard about last, which is there's forgiveness for sins, uh, for there is an offering for sins. Um, and that, that offering being Christ Jesus. And so now, therefore, we can enter into God's pre- presence with confidence. Uh, it, I, have, I have four sons, and so I, I think I use therefore quite a bit. Like, it, we've finished dinner, therefore, you can finally have your dessert. And they're so excited. It's great. <laughs> I'm so going to have being... to start using that with my four sons as well. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, they That's would good. also... Okay, so... Yeah, they would also tell you that, that I don't allow them to have dessert most of the time. But oh, well. Yeah, it's, it's a great conversation with them. That's, perhaps it's more often we've finished supper, therefore... Go get ready for bed. That's right. <laughs> okay, so so therefore, and then another word that perhaps we're prone to, to skip over, he addresses them as brothers here, yes. which we've heard him do prior in this epistle or this sermon. Talk about the significance of him addressing oh, the, them as brothers. This, this is, um, you might look at this and say, well, uh, it's just something to pass over because this is the way the writer talks, or uh, you you might be a little cynical and say, well, he's he's saying this to get in good with these fellows. But in fact, he is identifying something of critical importance that's brought up just a little bit later in this text, that we are brothers, we are all part of this family of our Heavenly Father, with Christ Jesus being the great brother, as well as the great high priest. And he is the one who is the great high priest of the household, the oikon of God in verse 21. And so Paul uh, or John or whoever the writer happens to be, I think I'll probably just keep saying Paul because that's what I do. Uh, he, he is here laying out that, that fact, that theological fact. Uh, it also then allows us to, to have confidence to enter into our father's household because he's our father. He loves us. We are dear to him. So we can then go before him, as, as Luther writes in the small catechism, with all boldness and confidence as dear children, ask their dear father. So that, that's uh, the critical importance of the word Adelphoi. It's more than just like some type of way of addressing one another. There's that theological relational component. Yeah, the the mention of the the small catechism, the introduction to the Lord's Prayer, I think is is fantastic, and that's that's one of my favorite parts of the small catechism is that explanation to the introduction in particular. As we were we were joking earlier about our our children and what happens after supper, but the fact that our children have a place at the table, and and the confidence that they have to sit at that table, knowing that they are members of our family, is just a, a marvelous thing. 
And so then to know that we have a place in our Father's house because of our big brother, Jesus Christ, uh, this is the, the confidence, at least in part, that's being spoken of here. Talk to us more about that word confidence. You mentioned it early on. Right. Pa- parasia, confidence here. Um, <clears throat> you, you might think about it in the way of uh, the military. For example, a junior officer comes in and, and begins speaking to his senior officer and then ha- has a point where he says, Sir, may I, may I speak freely? So he has to, be, has to be given permission. He can't just say anything that he wants to. And then uh, ideally the officer says, yes, you may speak freely. And he tells him what's on his mind or what his concerns happen to be. Uh, this is the type of boldness or, or freedom that we have that we, we don't even have to ask. Our father already says, yes, come, tell me anything. Tell me everything. You have that freedom, that boldness or confidence. Uh, doing a little bit of additional research, uh, Paul and John both use this word in their writings. John is noted for using it in his Gospels as well as in First John, that we have a confidence to be before, before the Father. Paul also. And it's insightful as you're reading Second Corinthians chapter 3, there Paul talks about how uh, we can go before God with an unveiled face, talking with him man to God, or if we were to look at it from a human perspective, man to man. We can stand up straight without a lowered head and be able to not only be in the presence of, but bear the glorious presence of God. And how can we do so? Well, it's because our brother, the great high priest has taken away all our sin, all our reproach, all our iniquity. And so we can go before our Father. We can approach Him with whatever we may be facing, whether it be great joy and thanksgiving and praise, or lament, regret, sin, sorrow. Uh, We can go in and freely speak with Him. Yeah. Well, and thinking again about the Lord's Prayer, with the introduction to the Lord's Prayer, we call upon God as our Father with this great boldness. Then what are the prayer requests that we lay before Him in the Lord's Prayer? The, the biggest things imaginable, and I think sometimes we don't, we don't realize this, especially with those first three petitions, just how wonderful and, and huge those requests actually are. Not that, that the other requests that we would offer are not important. They, they are important. By all means, God wants to hear those, what I think of as often fourth petition requests for needs of this body and life, and we should boldly offer those. But, but let's also keep in mind just how wonderful and bold and huge those other requests of the Lord's Prayer are, that we have that kind of freedom of speech before God is just a wonderful thing. Yes, it's, it's truly remarkable the things we get to pray for before our Heavenly Father as we, we re- request that His will would be done and His kingdom come, which of course works us back into the, the text, especially as we draw near the end of this that the day of our Lord is drawing near. But then that the, there is this temporal element to each of those in that God's kingdom does come to us now through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and we're praying for this, not only for ourselves, 
but for all the world around us. That, that our Father would be ba beat back the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature. Yeah, these are, are huge things that we're requesting. And our Father says, yes, come with them and ask more. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Now, so we have this confidence as brothers in Christ and those who have Christ as our big brother. We have this confidence. And the writer says to enter the holy places. We've, I think, been talking a lot about the idea of God's throne room, and that's certainly important, but but why particularly the holy places? What's in view here? Well, for uh, somebody who's Jewish hearing the, the holy places, you you would be transported to the, the temple and the the different parts of the temple. So you've you've got the holy place where there is the the table for the bread of the presence, where you have the altar of incense, where you have the can the uh, the candelabra there, and then you have the curtain which separates the holy place from the most holy place, and in the most holy place, at one point in time you would have found the ark of the covenant. Of course, in Christ's time, it's not there. Uh, it's it's been taken at some point during the the different wars against with Israel. Uh, so that, that most holy place is where God's throne happens to be, the place where he says that he will dwell with man. Uh, that theme also is picked up in Revelation in a more profound way because only one person is supposed to be able to be able to, to, be able to go into the most holy place, and that's the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. But it, it, by the time we get to Revelation, when the Lord has finally consummated all things and we have the new creation, then the dwelling place of God is with man and we're all together at his, at his throne. So what are we dealing with here then? Are we, are we dealing with the writer talking about the most holy place and the holy place? Uh, no. Uh, instead, those, as noted earlier in this chapter, are shadows of the reality. So we're not dealing with a tent that's been made with hands or even a stone building, but that which is eternal in the heavens, not made with hands, not of this creation, uh, which seems to echo some of Paul's language in Second Corinthians, as he and I, I bring this up because I was I was at the bedside of a a man at our church this this past weekend. Uh, he is now with the saints. God be praised. He's in the 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 uh, kingdom triumphant. But I read him Second Thessalonians chapters or Second Corinthians chapters four and five, and there Paul talks about how we've got the the jar of clay, but also that we've. We're waiting for the, the temple uh, or tabernacle, the tent, not made with hands. Um, so, again, some similar language there. So we're, what we're dealing with here, then, as uh, the writer talks about the holy places, is, is even now being in the very holy presence of God, his heavenly dwelling. And we're welcomed in there. That's happening during the divine service where Christ himself comes down to be with us, his body and blood under bread and wine. 
We're there with the angels and all of the saints in heaven, as the writer is later going to talk about, that we've got this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And so uh, this, again, this section is focusing us in on those things that are present now in the divine service. Oh, it, this is really joyous, isn't it? This is so great. <laughs> it really is, especially with that that idea of the you know the now that we have this, but also the the not yet. Right? We know that we groan in this body. We have this jar of clay right now, and, and we're waiting for that eternal dwelling place for the the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. And yet, even now, while we dwell here, waiting for that we have this confidence to enter into the holy place already. And and not to, I mean, this is kind of where this text is going with the thought of gathering together and not neglecting that, because it is in that gathering together in the divine service where we do enter into the holy place, where heaven comes to earth and we sing with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, the song of Isaiah 6, holy, 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 because the Lord is coming down to us right now, and we come before him in that confidence it really is a marvelous and joyful thing. And it really, I mean, it, when you think about that on Sunday morning, when you go to the divine service, it really just, boy, what what joy to gather then with the saints of God here and now. Indeed, indeed. So beautiful, so comforting. Um, and just as a little side note, that I've, I've had two parishioners die within about the last four weeks, and both of their widows were at church this past Sunday. And it gave me such such joy. It's still heart, the heart hurts because I loved both of their husbands. And of course they did in a way that uh, is much deeper than I did. Uh, but to have them there and to know that Merle and Norm were there with us, with them. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, it brings what tears a, to the eyes. Yeah. Yes. What a glorious thing that the Lord mm-hmm. keeps us united in his holy Christian church, both in heaven and on earth. Amen. So we have this confidence to enter into the holy places even now. And he says that happens by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So a lot to unpack there, Pastor Swem. Help us into those words. Oh, we could spend quite some time on this, couldn't we? Uh, first off, it, you have the word for the the doorway being opened is uh, a compound word with uh, at the root of it being way. So the the doorway that we're going in through the ice odon uh, has to do with the holy blood of Jesus, and and there we certainly think about how the the priest would go into the temple uh, with the blood of the atoning sacrifice and then be able to go into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle that for the sins of the people once a year. But now we don't have to have this, this sacrifice each time we enter into God's presence. Instead, we enter in with the blood of Christ, the once and for all sacrifice for the sake of our sins. So in we go as priests, right? Mm. And, and more on that later. <laughs> but in we go into the presence of God, knowing that Christ, the atoning sacrifice, still lives. And he himself who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, has provided us a way in. Mm. Now this way in is not through a big curtain that divides 
the holy place from the holy of holies because that curtain was ripped from top to bottom when Christ died. Matthew records that in his uh, recording of the crucifixion, Matthew 27, that the curtain was torn from top to bottom. And it seems like that's being picked up a bit here. Now we don't need this curtain to separate us from God. Instead, that separation ended when Christ died on the cross. Now, this new and living way, that's interesting, because in order for the sacrifice to be offered, you have to kill it and shed its blood. But Christ lives. He, he has risen from the dead. Now he is the new and living way opened for us through his flesh, that pierced flesh buried into the ground, raised from the grave, shown to his disciples, ascended into heaven. That's the new and living way for us. And certainly then you have this, this uh, aspect to it. When you're hearing blood and flesh, you're thinking about the Lord's Supper, though the words of institution record that it's soma or, or body. This is my body as opposed to this is my flesh. Uh, John picks up a little bit on that Sark's language, though, flesh. And so it, it seems then we, we have a little bit of that going on here, that we're not just dealing with the atoning sacrifice, but the sacrifice of Christ's body, crucified, risen for our sake, that now we partake in. Yeah, no, and I think that's that's the right way to to think about this, and it's it's something that I don't know that I caught right away because it's the order is different than the way we hear the words of institution that that Christ gives His body and then His blood, and here it's blood and then flesh. But I, I definitely think that the Lord's Supper is in view, especially given some of the other allusions that we've seen in this in this letter so far, and kind of what we've been talking about with going into the presence of God here, that the Lord's Supper is the place where that happens most fully. That mention of the, the living way, I do think, as you were pointing out, is significant, and it reminds me of, of something that he said earlier in this letter, where he was talking about Christ as a the, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and he says that, that Jesus is the one who always lives to make intercession for them. That was back in Hebrews 7, verse 20. This enables Jesus to be the, the high priest that we need, and because he is the, the living one, the risen one, this this curtain, this way into the into the presence of God, it will never be closed. It's it's a it's a yeah. ever living and always open way. And so it's just remarkable to see how the, the writer of Hebrews, if we want to say Paul, just weaves <laughs> these threads together. And they really do. We were talking about this yesterday in the, the previous text. They really start to come together in a number of ways in this chapter. Yes, it's it's marvelous. Um, you, I think you also have uh, a bit of the the language of the Lord's Supper being picked up here with with this matter of blood and the blood established for the the blood that's shed to establish the new covenant, yes. um, as well as, as that could be translated as New Testament, right? Um, with with the covenantal aspect, we look back into the Old Testament and we hear. Um, uh, maybe it, the best example is, is when in Exodus chapter 24, the, the book of the testimony is read to the people, and then they've, they've killed the ten bulls, gathered the blood, and they've taken that blood for this covenant. 
between God and man. Now, Jesus establishes a new and better covenant in his supper. Uh, additionally, it's a testament. Uh, it's the new last will and testament of Christ, uh, which can only take place at his death. Uh, and now, he has given to us all good things, including the ability to enter into the presence of God. And since he lives, he comes in with us. Uh, talk more about that, Christ living and coming in with us. Uh, dig into that a little more. Absolutely. Well, uh, certainly when, when we look at our, our lives as, as Christians, we can easily forget about the presence of God with us each step along the way. It is uh, Christ who has been joined to us in holy baptism. He even now resides at the Father's hand and yet also with us at the same time. And so when we go into the presence of God, when we attend the divine service, it's not just us, these human beings gathered around the altar of the Lord or the table of the Lord. Christ is there too. He is there under bread and wine, and yet he is also there with us at the right hand of God the Father, going uh, before us, bringing us into God's presence. He's the great high priest who brings in the atoning sacrifice of himself. <laughs> and so the, the priest, the sacrifice, goes with us. He's the only begotten Son of the Father who is welcoming us in as brothers and sisters into the presence of the Father. Yeah, and, he, well, and again, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. So he endures the wrath of God for all our sins and covers us with his righteousness so we can, we can come in. We can be there without fear, without shrinking back, without wavering. Yes. Yes. And and to to go back to what we we were talking about the the beginning of our conversation with the thought of of our children gathered around the dinner table. Yeah. You know, ima imagine one of their one of their friends wants to come and mm -hmm. eat with us. Right? Right. What gives that friend confidence to sit at the table? <laughs> it's if one of the sons of the father says, "Come on, you can you can sit here." Right? Well, we have the only begotten son of the heavenly Father who says come in with me, and that is the, the complete confidence and boldness that is ours to enter into God's presence, into these holy places, even now. We're going to keep looking at this text on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Jeremy Swem this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, October 27th. We're studying Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25 with Pastor Jeremy Swem. He serves at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Pastor Swem, prior to the break, we were looking at the writer's therefore, and he says, since we have confidence, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, beginning then in verse 22, he moves on to three cohortative statements, let us do something. And that dominates the rest of our text for today. So the first one of those in verse 22 is, let us draw near with a true heart. And and as one who's grown up in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, I want to finish that in a certain way. That isn't quite how this text goes, but I'm sure you'll address that. So talk about this, this first cohortative, let us draw near. So as we hear these words, it's important to recognize that this let us includes us. The first person plural here is not meant to just address the people who are hearing this in Hebrews. It's meant to address us too. So there is this communal aspect joining people together of all time since this has been written. And, And we must think about it in that way. These first-person plural verbs involve us. So uh, this, this now moves us then into this matter we're to consider. Let us draw near with a true heart. And of course, we want to, uh, at least as a pastor, I want to say, uh, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Um, which which is a beautiful invitation for confession and absolution in the divine service. But you're right. That's not the way it is. So <laughs> it certainly is something that we've picked up on right. and applied rightly within the church Absolutely. to then invite the, the congregation and we ourselves as pastors to confess our sins before God our Father and to receive then forgiveness. Uh, So uh, as as the writer here bids us draw near, uh, we must then wonder how do we do so given what's happened over the past week, over the past hour, over the past few minutes? If you're a parent with children heading, heading into the divine service, Uh, It requires quite a bit of work because you have to get children dressed of all things and in sometimes into a vehicle and finally into the church. And maybe somewhere along the way, you you realized I should be praying for patience because I'm out of it. And and then you get there and you're like, yeah, I need to draw near to God with with a heart that confesses its sins. Right. So when we're drawing near to God with a true heart, that is, that is a heart that is faithful, uh, trusting 
God and his promises, confessing the truth uh, that we've sinned. But God who is faithful, and this is Johannine language, right? God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you see my struggle here. I keep going back and forth between Paul and John. <laughs> I guess the, the, the real answer is it's the Holy Spirit. That's right. That's right. Right. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's that, so that, that Johannine language from, from John chapter 1, or 1 John chapter 1, excuse me, yeah, which does John, show up yeah. then in Divine Services setting 1 and 2, is the reason that we can draw near with this true heart, with this one that honestly acknowledges its sin, in the full assurance of faith. I don't need to hide my sins from God because he's made his promise that he's going to forgive those sins in conf- in this confession and absolution. Yes. Yes, that's beautiful and so true and comforting. I don't have to put on a mask to come to church. God already knows it all and he desires that I would have true comfort that it's all been forgiven, removed from me as far as the east is from the west taken from me as far as the heights of the heavens are from the depths of the sea. So I can come before him. It's great. <laughs> yes. So I do so, again, with a with a true heart and the full assurance of faith. And also, and this is first-person first plural, so not just me, but with our, now with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. What's in view there? Oh, this, this sprinkling word is pretty great. I was doing a bit of research a while back when I was looking at Titus chapter 3. And I I love Greek. My Hebrew is always rusty. Uh, that's why I need to sharpen the, the iron. So yeah, I need to do that. Uh, but but I was looking at, at that particular word in, in Greek from Titus 3 and found it in Exodus 24. That, that the sprinkling that's going on, that's talked about um, in holy baptism, uh, the sprinkling that's being talked about here in Hebrews is the same type of sprinkling that happened when the Israelites were sprinkled with the blood from the ten bulls after the the testimony um, had been sprinkled with it. And and so we, we've got this connection that we have this sacrifice that we've been sprinkled clean with, and the covenant has been created by the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. Now, it's interesting that it's the hearts are sprinkled clean. Because it, initially, I, I want to say, well, that has to do with holy baptism, and it probably does, right? Because in the waters of holy baptism, uh, where our, all our sins are washed away, uh, and then our hearts are also sprinkled clean by the blood of Christ. But it seems like there is the connection to the Lord's Supper here as well. So uh, we'll, we'll let some other pastors maybe debate on that in another show or something. I don't know. But uh, getting back to this, this matter of the heart being sprinkled clean, in Exodus 24, it's just the people's bodies. There's no mention of the heart. So also... When the priests are prepared uh, for their ordination uh, in Leviticus, and I, I think you guys have studied Leviticus recently, yeah. you heard, heard about how uh, there was blood placed upon 
Aaron and his sons, including on the earlobe. So there's there's like this aspect to them being sprinkled clean with the blood. Other things being sanctified by blood, but never the heart. And so what an interesting application here that the heart is being sprinkled clean. And from what? An evil conscience. Um, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. I, I'm not sure. But yeah. we, do have, we do have those connections then between this sprinkling that is talked about here in Hebrews and the sprinklings that happened in the Old Testament. Well, so okay, yeah, and, and the matter of is, are we talking about baptism, the Lord's Supper? It's, I'm that's beyond me too. I think there's some of both, and and even the mention of conscience with the idea of, of being sprinkled clean. I mean, maybe that's maybe we should think about Peter for a little bit too, because Peter talks about the good conscience that we're given in holy baptism. But but regardless of again, it's the Holy Spirit that's given us these words in Hebrews ten. Talk to us about this this matter of being sprinkled with this uh, the removal of the evil conscience. Okay, so I, I did a little bit of work on the conscience, uh, just tracing some things through in Greek, kind of classical Greek thought, and then in the, the New Testament, um, as well as the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And one really interesting thing from this is the Septuagint does not use this Greek word for conscience. Hmm. Instead, it ends up using the word heart, having a, a good heart, a clean heart. And so this word for conscience is more of a Greek thought. And so here you have the meshing together of Hebrew and Greek thought in this verse, right? Because first we're talking about hearts that are sprinkled. Uh, and then we have the taking away of the evil or bad conscience. Okay. So we, we have that, that intermixing of, of Hebrew and Greek thought, which is, is pretty neat. Uh, what's the significance here? Well, as, as uh, Western thinkers, we primarily think about things in the matter of the conscience. And we think about it as, as something to evaluate good and bad, uh, right and wrong. But we also then have a guilty conscience. And if you remember being a kid and having done something wrong, and lying about it to your parents, like this conscience it just gets worse and worse. Oh, but good news. You have this conscience that has been now, this evil conscience that's been taken away because the heart has been sprinkled by the blood of Christ. And so now you've got a good conscience, a conscience that says all my sins are forgiven. And then I can go and I can tell my parents what I've done. Because what's the worst that's going to happen to me? <laughs> you, you're going to get in earthly trouble. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> earthly trouble we can handle. Eternal trouble we can't. Furthermore, our parents are there to announce to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, they will give an earthly punishment. That happens. But they're there to announce to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. And so they're, they're there and acting as a witness of, of God. The Holy Spirit is working through that word to restore the conscience. Um, now, there, there's lots more here about, about conscience, which is kind of interesting. Uh, one thing may be helpful to our, our listeners 
is that the conscience is acting as a witness with something or someone else. Okay? So uh, when we do have an evil conscience because of our sin, and we've gone to the divine service, and we've confessed our sins, then oftentimes thereafter, uh, we, we may still be struggling with that sin that we've confessed. And that's because the conscience still says, oh, wait, I had this sin, I had this sin. It's kind of like your, your nerves that tell you, you you've been hurt, right? And even after you've, you've been stitched up and things are healing, you've been hurt, Okay, so the the conscience then then may still be afflicted and hurting, but that's because it it recognized the sin. But there's a greater witness who speaks for us. That is Jesus through His Holy Spirit, and we have to take His word as the truth. The sins that we've confessed are actually forgiven. Yeah, yeah. There's there's there. You're back in. First John again. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. So there, yeah. you got another argument for John. I get there. So I know. I know. Keep and, going back and, and forth. <laughs> and, and there, um, and there, you you begin to pick up. Well, John speaking to a, a Hebrew audience, yeah. right, is addressing the conscience in that way. And and we as as uh, or at least me, me as a Western thinker, I I need to hear that as that's that's a good conscience. Swim. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, again, one more for this, let us draw near. We've, we've, we're drawing near with a true heart, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and now also with our bodies washed with pure water. Talk to us about that last part of drawing near. Okay. So in holy baptism, you've been washed fully. Even though it's only an external washing, it happens with the Word of God. Consequently, you are completely washed. Uh, this language is picked up by... Uh, John, when uh, he when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, okay, uh, there uh, one of the disciples asks, uh, "Is is Peter? I guess it is Peter." Peter asks um, after he says, "Don't wash me." Then he then he says, "Well, wash all of me, Jesus." And Jesus says, "Actually, you've already been washed fully." And there, it's an allusion to holy baptism. And now, what? What Jesus is doing is uh, kind of like confession and absolution. He's washing away the sin since then. Um, here, this washing with pure water is an allusion to holy baptism, where the, the person has been cleansed, but it's not just the body that's been washed. It's all of me, body and soul. I love that the, the word here, which is a participle, is a perfect participle to Pastor Apple, because as you look at that, that perfect participle means that I was once washed, but I'm still washed. Yeah. It, it's not like, uh, well, I, I was washed when I was two months old, and then I sinned when I was five, and now that washing is no longer any good. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a past act with a present result. So what happened in our baptism is still true today. We are still, we've still been washed with a cleansing water. Uh, there, the, the word which we get catharsis from, people talk about having a cathartic experience where all of a sudden I've had all of this emotional outpouring, which can be a very good thing. But this is cleansing. I, I, this is a cleansing water. And that's what happens in baptism. We've been cleansed, both body and soul. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Now the, the second of three of the cohortatives, let us, comes in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Helps into that let us statement. So when the writer here is addressing the Hebrews, we, we know that there are those who are falling away. We, we know that those, there are those who are uh, perhaps considering leaving or have left because of persecution. You hear that especially in uh, chapters uh, 11 and 12, and that's why we have the encouragement of the great cloud of witnesses who were faithful even unto death. So uh, here we're encouraged then to hold fast to the confession of what? of Jesus Christ, who is the true Son of God, who has truly died for us and for our salvation. This is our absolute certainty. So we we join in these same words. That's homologian there in Greek. So the the same words of this this, uh, confession of the faith. And then we move into hope. Uh, which is, this is so beautiful, right? The confession of our hope is all that Jesus has given to us even now. Uh, Some of it we only have in part, right? Uh, Because Jesus, as is noted in Hebrews, is our Sabbath. And so we have our rest in, in part. But we rest fully when we are with him. We have our salvation fully and, and our redemption fully. And yet... We don't see the result of that, the resurrection of the body, not yet. We have an internal, eternal inheritance, for we are sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. We're children of the Heavenly Father. And yet, we don't have that inheritance fully yet. So this is a hope of all of these things which are yet to come. And, and that is, is certainly what is in view here. And we can be certain of this because the one who has promised these things to us is faithful. And it's, it's neat how the Greek ends up working here because there's no verb involved. It's fantastic. You just have, have uh, faithful and the one who promises set next to each other. And you're just supposed to assume the one who promises is faithful. And the emphasis is actually placed on faithful. Mm. Yeah. So so the 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 key here is is this certainty that we have that God is faithful. All yeah, of the things bring, Yeah, go ahead. No, I was well, I was to say that brings to mind what he talked about in chapters 6 and 7 where he talked about this anchor that we have and yep. the fact that God made the oath that this gives us even the double certainty that what God says is true. He is and again as you said here just he faithful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 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 because of because of that then we are able to hold fast this confession. Hold fast. Don't fall away. Hold fast to Christ. And then lastly, the the last let us statement is verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So once again, plenty to unpack here, Pastor Swim. We've got about seven minutes for our conversation, which I hate to tell you that on such <laughs> such a loaded verse. Uh, but but help us into pick up. What do we need to get from these this this last let us statement? Okay, but perhaps the core of this is this matter of how we stir one another up to love and good works. But but let's work that way first. Okay. Uh, First, let us know it is this, this perceiving of how to incite or stir one another up. Now, we, we can certainly stir one another up in a negative way. And that's pretty easy as you know how to push one another's buttons. But that's not what we're talking about here. Instead, this has to do with the very way that God has shown his love, compassion, and care to us by giving to us his only begotten son. And so uh, instead of uh, inciting or stirring one another up uh, or irritating or spurring each other on, this has more to do with the, the care and love that we show to one another within this body of Christ, which makes a lot of sense as we have been dealing with this matter of the Lord's Supper, right? So as, as we look at this then, one of the key ways that we, we prepare for the Lord's Supper is living in Christ's forgiveness uh, and extending that forgiveness to one another. So th this is key that we would be at peace with one another. Uh, furthermore, uh, it does also involve then living out the good works uh, which God has prepared for us beforehand to walk in, as Paul notes in Ephesians. Uh, so uh, we are to look to the needs of our neighbor, especially the poor and the widow uh, and uh, the orphan. So I think we have some of that going on here as far as how we should stir one another up or or encourage one another uh, as opposed to uh, going around and trying to push each other's buttons. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and again, the context, thinking of the, the church as the family of God, how often family members might try to push each other's buttons in those <laughs> negative ways, and yet instead, no, stir stir each other up to these love and good works. And this this happens then in the context of meeting together. Some some apparently are neglecting this already in the early church, but the writer here says, no, don't do that. Keep meeting together. This is part of your encouragement to each other. And I think, you know, again, thinking about the Lord's Supper involved in this, that's certainly a, a, a huge part of our meeting together, that we would receive the Lord's Supper, which is, as we pray in our post-communion collect, strengthens us not only in faith toward God, but also in this love toward one another. So uh, talk about the, the thought of meeting together and that how that plays a role in our encouragement, especially as the day is drawing near. Well, there is a great blessing seeing your family members gathered around the table, a great encouragement there. And, and so as... As we come together, we, by faith, see beyond those who are kneeling at the altar rail to the great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. This gives us encouragement and comfort. Uh, 
along with those embodied souls next to us. Uh, again, uh, using that example I, I mentioned about uh, the, the two widows who were at church on Sunday, my heart was so cheered to see them there. We, we need this. In addition to the knowledge of the, the divine things that are happening around us. So this, this is part of what it means to live an embodied Christian life, that, that you do have encouragement from the people who are next to you in the pew, uh, and also the care that they provide, in addition to helping each other to the altar rail. I've, I've got a couple of, of uh, elderly folks who need assistance to get there, and, and then they insist on kneeling. <laughs> which you don't have to do. It's a beautiful act. I love it. But then they need a little help getting back up, right? So you, you've got those practical aspects in that, that care and love being bestowed upon one another. Uh, but, but then you've also got really encouragement uh, happening as you gather there together. When somebody's not there, it hurts too. You wonder, oh, well, well, why aren't my, my friends, my neighbors... Uh, my my longtime uh, co-workers on this board of whatever, like trustees, where, where are they today? Maybe they're just on vacation, but if they haven't shown up in a couple of Sundays, what's going on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we need that encouragement from, from each other, and especially as we see the day drawing near. You know, thinking back earlier in this, this letter where he's talked about today as the day when God's rest is open— we also know that the day is drawing near, and so we, we need that encouragement now, today, to stay faithful, to hold fast this confession, to continue to draw near. We need this encouragement, and it comes as we meet together. We've got about a minute left here, Pastor Swim. Help us to, to wrap things up. Give us the full encouragement of this absolutely marvelous text from Hebrews 10. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ draws near us each day as we come to him through his word. Uh, he draws near to us so intimately in the Lord's Supper, giving us his body and blood and joining us together in this one body of Christ. But all of this is really pointing us forward to the day which is drawing near, when finally we shall see him face to face in the presence of our Father. Pastor Jeremy Swem is pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's been helping us today to study Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Pastor Swem, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you, Pastor Apple. What a joy it's been to be with you on the program. Pastor Stephen Starkey, in his hymn, Christ Sits at God's Right Hand, number 564 in Lutheran Service Book, summarizes this text in this way in stanza five. Then let us now draw near, washed in that precious flood, and enter the most holy place by Jesus' blood. From hearts that are sincere, let tongues our hope profess, and trust anew God's faithful grace that we confess. God grant it for Jesus' sake. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Hebrews chapter 10, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.